Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and this week we're joined by Wally McGuire. Uh, he is best known for his work with the Flex Your Power campaign here in California that has had dramatic results in reducing peak demand, a period like now in California. We're at the seventh day of a flex alert here in California as we record this episode of Flanagan's Ecologic. Uh, Wally will have a lot to talk about. Uh, he's had a colorful, colorful career. Somebody I, I, I deeply admire, so I'm very pleased to have him on the show today. All right. Well, Wally, thanks so much for uh, jumping on Flanagan's Ecologic, the podcast. Uh, it's, it's great to see you after all these years. Likewise. Been too long. It has been too long. And how, how are you? What have you, you been up to these days? I know you're largely retired. Um, yeah, I've joined some boards, you know, for years, I think 16 years, I was the chair of SEEB, California Council on Environmental and Economic Balance. Uh, I'm on the Jack London Park Partners Board. We run Jack London State Park up here in Sonoma. I have a place in Sonoma now, uh, and as well as San Francisco. Uh, and I'm actually working on a, a, a pretty cool project. I, I am a big advocate of, and as I have been since early 2000 of putting uh, solar panels over the entire central water project. That would get us to about 40% of a renewable need, save 66 billion gallons of water. I mean, it's, it's a cool project. We own the land that's hooked yeah. into the transmission. So, you know, spending a little time on that, among other things. And I heard, I heard recently, I saw something in the news that there's been some development on that. Is there a section that's being going to be done? Yeah, and Turlock, in fact, the governor put 20, who's buying this, by the way, put, uh, I think it's 20 million. They were looking for more behind a project up in Turlock, the Turlock uh, Irrigation District. Right. So what, what kind of potential are we looking at for if you did all the canals? Is that a number you've got at the tip of your tongue? Well, there's a beautiful study. They, they claim that people, uh, you know, UC Merced did a study. And they think it would get us to 40, I don't know how much energy, but it's 40% of our renewable needs, goals. So it's a lot. That's huge. It's That's huge. huge. Yeah. And then saving all the water because you, you reduce the evaporation. Yeah. yeah. And it did, you know, it's got jobs associated with it in areas that are pretty poor in this country. So I, I see really no downsides. Yeah. What a, what a great thing to be, uh, what a great thing to be working on. Really you pick yeah. your, sounds like uh, if I'm, if I'm, Reading you right, you're picking your projects carefully and choosing where you want to put your time. And that's exactly what I'm doing. That sounds great. I want to talk a lot about flex, but but before we get there, let's let's you you've you've just done so many amazing things. I was just as I was thinking about getting ready for this interview, I, some of the stories you've told me um, over the years. But but I want to go. So I want to hit on a, a number of things. But let's go all the way back. Where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in Colorado, Colorado Springs. Uh, I was raised uh, pretty much nowhere. I moved every couple of years. I went to probably a good dozen schools, uh, and uh, the last being a law school in San Francisco at Hastings, where I call that home still. And then since then, of course, I moved many times, lived in Sacramento, Washington. So I really, San Francisco is as close as a home base as, as I have. I, was, your, was your father in the military, or is that the... That's what everybody thinks. That would be the classic yeah, story there. 
Yeah, he, he, although that really wasn't why we moved, he was, of all things, a Brahma bull rider in the rodeos. But then he worked for uh, the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. And back in those days, they used to, if you wanted to move up the corporate ladder, you moved. So every year or so, they would give him a little promotion, but that meant moving to a different city or state. That's kind of a tough thing to do with a family. You hear these stories, but you seem to you seem to have turned out okay. It didn't seem to scar you for life or anything, did it? Depends on who you talk to, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what about what, what about the what what about college? What were the college days? Uh, well, Washington State University undergraduate uh, lived in Spokane. The last place before college was Spokane, so that was the nearest basically free college that I could go to. And then I went to law school in San Francisco, as I mentioned at Hastings. Yeah. Uh, practiced for a couple of years. Uh, didn't particularly like the practice of law and ended up in politics and government. Uh, running everything. Uh, I worked in Bill Ross campaign against uh, this secretary of state called Jerry Brown. That's where I met him actually. And then worked for uh, George McGovern for four years uh, in a presidential uh, Worked uh, for Jerry during both administrations, but really the first one was the chief lobbyist for the state in Washington, D.C. for him, director of administration. For Jerry Brown in his first administration. First two terms around. The second, I didn't work for him, but worked in his campaigns, including several. He ran several times in his presidential campaigns. So I worked uh, for the Carter White House doing for four years doing his foreign trips, you know, thing like the Camp David shuttle and whatever now what i i read that with with interest as i was looking this morning at some of your some of your uh, bio materials but there you were i mean it sounds logistically like a nightmare to me uh having to deal with a campaign and uh or a president and trying to figure out how to get the president to such such location and then the hotel and the security and the telephone lines and um now there you were you hadn't you weren't you weren't, you hadn't studied that in college or anything. Uh, you, it sounds like you were just thrown into it. Well, they don't teach that in college, as far as I know. I, I think Marshall Gans at Harvard, and I've talked to he's teaching organizing, but he was always the field guy. He was the advanced guy. Uh, no, you're thrown into it in campaigns. You know, and that's where I learned it, doing political campaigns. Uh, and I was usually the scheduling and advanced guy. But it is a nightmare. I mean, the, the Camp David shuttle, for instance, uh, I got notice, I think, three days before he was going to go. The Camp David Accords had kind of fallen apart. He was going to do the shuttle back and forth. And, you know, in three days, it's kind of hard to get to Tel or Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and put on unlimited meetings with 1,600 national, international press. And it was tough. But it's also very challenging and fun. So yeah. I did that. And then that, that actually is a lot of my firm that I set up. We did both Olympic torch relays. Peter Ubroff hired me to do the 84 Olympic relay across the country. And, and Billy Payne hired me to do the well, let's, let's talk about that. And you, I remember visiting your office in San Francisco and you had one of the torches proudly displayed there, which I would too, if I, but yeah. I think twice you ran with a torch as well. I did. And well, in 84 and in 97, during the 84, I traveled with the torch probably a third of the time, I ran with it constantly. I'd jump out when there were no, you know, sponsored runners and just run along with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but again, lots of coordination and lots of uh, dealing with the press, obviously, uh, advancing as you went across the country or... Uh, uh, and, and that became your your forte, right? I mean, I, I think of you as when I think if I put, tried to encapsulate your career, I was thinking 
you know, outreach specialist extraordinaire. Uh, we're going to get to flex, but. Well, I've never heard it described that way. But yeah, once you do a, a big event or two, you know, and I started even with Nancy Pelosi when she first ran training her staff to do it. So, you know, then the Olympics pretty much turned, well, presidential campaigns. I ran the Midwestern states for McGovern scheduling in advance. So I had, I was fairly well known. Uh, back then, I worked with a guy I had dinner with two or three weeks ago, John Podesta. He was on that staff. So you get known. And then, of course, when some big event comes along, they call you. Yeah. I did that, the Pope's trip down in L.A., if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, my favorite story, you, you told me the story of the Pope was hungry and you guys were in some hotel and you went down and made sandwiches in the kitchen. But I mean, tell well, me. Well, that wasn't quite the story. He was at St. Viviana's, the old one. <laughs> and the Secret Service had been a screw up and they hadn't allowed his dinner to be set up. So while he was waiting, he made it, I think he made a thing of soup and popped a beer, if I remember correctly. But no, we didn't go to dinner together, but I was with him a lot. Yeah, how so, yeah, did all those kinds of things. Uh, and that's what really, quite frankly, led for Gray, who, of course, was he was chief of staff uh, for Jerry in that first time. That's where I got to know him. I was chief of staff to Merv Dinelay, lieutenant governor. So Gray and I would talk because they didn't, the governor, lieutenant governor didn't really talk that much. And so when Gray became uh, governor and faced an energy crisis, uh, I guess he knew that I'd done a bunch of campaigns and big things like that. And we needed an energy campaign. And so he called. That's when I signed up for the state. That's, uh, that's amazing. So you were, you were in your office in San Francisco and he just gave you a call and said, I need your help. Great day. Well, I remember if he called or, uh, I don't know, it may have been Dave Freeman who was, you know, doing, so I, I, it could have been, I don't remember who called, but yeah. I, I was hired pretty quickly. And he put out, because it, it, it was such an emergency, there was no bidding. It's for a big, huge state contract. So he had to issue an executive order naming me. It's been under an emergency or something. So, yeah, went up and we threw the campaign together pretty quickly. And where did the name come from? Who came up with the name? You know, I don't. Uh, it was in the press office. Uh, I can't remember the name of his press secretary at the time. Uh, but, yeah, he said, flex your power. I came up, well, we came up with the name Flex Alert years later, which is now still, uh, still, and, and it's not just in California now, it's all over, but, uh, but Flex Your Power, at first I thought was a little goofy, but then one of our big goals, we were a demand side campaign and no one understood that at the time. We yeah. took a poll, 10% of the people understood the demand side of energy. Everything was focused on supply and everybody blamed gray and whatever, for not building enough power plants. And I could get into the eight reasons why we had an energy crisis. The people understood none of them. And uh, so, you know, I did. But that's why I like Flex Your Power, because it put the power in the hands of the user. The, the great name. The great name. And that, yeah. was, that was in 2000, yeah. getting ready for the 2001 summer where everybody had talked about 34 blackouts in the state and what you had, somebody said $16 billion worth of economic uh, impact was projected. Yeah, it was at that time the biggest and most important issue in everybody's mind, including the public. 67% of the people thought it was the most important thing going on in their life. So it was, we had everybody's attention, which if you have a campaign, it's a good place to start. Unfortunately, they didn't understand at all what to do and were too busy blaming other people, you know. 
You know what I, yeah. And, and I want you to talk about sort of the breadth of the campaign because you had five months to avert a crisis or a, a 34, 34 crises. And I think many people, including myself, when they think of Flex Your Power, they think of the public outreach campaign, you know, calling on people to voluntarily take action. But you were spearheading a much broader initiative that involved utility incentives, the CEO pledge that I want you to talk about, you know, the school challenge, uh, you know, these were other legs of that stool. Maybe there's even other legs that I'm not even mentioning. But that's that's what it took to get the really dramatic results that we'll, we'll talk about, right? It was this broad-based campaign. Yeah, it had to, it, on to the demand side, everybody has to participate. That doesn't mean just understand it. They have to do something. And that requires a huge campaign. And again, it, you know, it, it came from my political experience. I don't know if you know what the four T's of a campaign are, but a campaign, you know, one of them is that targeting people didn't understand who was using electricity. So I came up with this thing. If you think of a grid across the top in columns, those columns, I called it the cigar chart. Those five columns were C for commercial sector, I industrial, G for governmental, A for agriculture, are for residential. Why is that important? No one knew who was using the electricity at peak. By the way, people thought electric, electricity, all electrons are the same. They're not. It was at peak was our problem. We didn't have a problem at two in the morning or two in the afternoon. So it, it, what people didn't understand is that 30% of the electricity in the state was by the residential sector, only 30. So all those TV ads and stuff were only directed at one segment. 30% were the commercial sector. You don't reach everybody in, in business. You reach the people who have the power to turn the lights on, use equipment. So, so there had to be a different campaign. Same with agriculture. Although agriculture was only 5%. Uh, and, and then within the targeting, you figure out, well, what can they do? And of course, it was three things for commercial and residential. Mm -hmm. AC, lighting, and then equipment. Agriculture is totally different. It was pumping water and and processing fruits and vegetables, which is that what you know, all you had to do is just say pump your from the surface water uh, on peak and use off peak for not, you know, I mean, very simple changes. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, the second T and I'm sorry if I'm going too long, but the second T are the tools. Okay, now you know what you have to go after. What tools are at your avail hands and what tools are available for like someone who runs a business or a mayor or whatever. And those tools, if you think about it, are mandates. And we did, we pushed lots of mandates. There are, uh, there's incentives, uh, there are prohibitions, there's education, you know, all of those things. There's the marketplace. So you put those two columns, the columns and where the rows intersected, and it just it just pops out at you. God, that's who we have to get to and what we have to tell them to do. So we put a campaign uh, together that did all that. Uh, the third T, just for where it's worth is timing. Uh, when I got the campaign, everybody was not only angry, but didn't know what to do and blaming everybody else. So we had to say, it's simple. We can get through this. And those three things I just told you, those things that you see in your Flex Alert today, those are simple things people can do. It's simple, it's free, and you can do it. We put the power in your hands. That was stage one of the campaign. 
And it's reflected in the commercials and the taglines and everything. The second stage was everybody's joining in. We want to create a movement. So together we can get through this. And you've seen that together to this day. And then the third, once that, as we got through the crisis, pretty much, we needed to build it in permanently. We had to lock it in as permanent behavior. And that's where we added in the energy efficiency, not just, you know, uh, conservation. Right. And at, the, and at the end of the day, if the evaluation that I saw I can, is, is accurate, um, you saved 5,000 or you were able to avoid 5,000 megawatts of peak demand in the summer of 2001. Is that? It's that yeah, uh, totally. And there were no blackouts. And there were peak no blackouts. And that is, that's over 10%, isn't it, of, of the whole state's peak demand? Uh, at that time, it was, no, it wasn't that much. It was about, at that time, I think it was 5.4%. It was less than 10, but it was more than the margin we needed to prevent blackouts. Right, right. And, both, and then, both in terms of shaving the peak, which is conservation, right. and shifting it, that's why the concept of peak energy was so important. 90% of the people had to be told what that was. You move when you use power. So shaving and shifting the peak got us to about, uh, yeah, going on to 6,000 megawatts. Oh, it's a huge, congratulations. It's a huge accomplishment. And, and, and what, talk about the CEO pledge. Uh, I, I wanted to sort of hear what we did 20 years ago and then maybe think about some of these things for, for today. But... What was the CEO pledge all about? Well, it's interesting. I actually, uh, yeah, government isn't called at the beginning of the last summer. And I, that was one of the things I mentioned. I said, look, it isn't just advertising. It said, you can, you can reach out to the, like BOMA, I'll give uh, building owners and managers association. At that time, they managed probably 900 million square feet or some huge amount of space in California. Uh, and they have contracts with the people who rent. They, they couldn't do some of the things I asked for. So I wanted to have them all sign a pledge to do it and then give them some cover from the governor, either to say you have to, which he didn't want to do, or have them voluntarily do it. So, yeah, we, we met with all of the BOMA people and all the people from all the associations who manage all these buildings from warehouses to high rises to whatever. They signed a pledge and those pledges, depending on the sector, committed to do certain things. And you know what? They stepped up. They did it. That no, The public doesn't know about all those 12 initiatives we're talking about. But uh, that was one of them. Um, we did a similar thing with all state buildings. The mandate that the governor's office put out mandated all state buildings to cut 20% and pull them out. A management memo we put together. Uh, we sent that out to local governments and water agencies, which are huge users of electricity. Uh, we went and worked on the educational side with our school thing. We put together uh, school audits what I mean by that is, or, uh, excuse me, school lesson plans. So kids would take home, the target was really long-term the kids, but the real was the parents. Yeah. They could go through and audit all of the things, the using electricity and calculate how much and all that kind of stuff. And that homework assignment, we wanted to sign it, which meant the parent had to make sure it was all filled in. So we did that kind of thing uh, with colleges, uh, we got all the different colleges that are environmental clubs or something to do an, an audit of the universities. I think I can't, I still remember her name. April Smith did it at UCLA and it ended up in the LA times because they were such 
excessive users of energy. So anyway, we did all of those type of initiatives. And then, of course, we ran TV, radio, you know, Internet. All and what, what just orders of magnitude? What does it cost to run a campaign like that? I mean, you know, you you had your you had all your staff and yourself and your are leveraging all these arrangements, which was fantastic and getting all this volunteerism. And then you had the whole media buy. Um, what are we talking in like in the year 2000? How many millions of dollars were we per year? Uh, well, back then, when things were much, much cheaper than now, the, the biggest cost of all is media. That was about $20 million, uh, which, when you think we saved hundreds of millions, was a pretty damn good investment in no blackouts. Uh, the organizing campaign is, was not, uh, relatively not that much. We set up five offices, each with five people, covering the five sectors. You know, how much does it cost to pay people? And we didn't pay them all that much. I hesitate to say, but we didn't have enough to, to pay them. Uh, so that part uh, was and continues to be the cheapest. Uh, if you don't see advertisements for Flex Alerts now, uh, you probably don't need it if you do all of these other things, if you keep the partnership, what I call the Flex Alert Network together. Uh, by the way, that, that campaign, went, we went on for 15 years. Much of it was switched to efficiency, energy efficiency, and that ran anywhere from three to twenty million a year, but we weren't. That Flexler was a separate campaign. That's what you're seeing now. That was six million a year throughout the whole thing. But you don't always need it. You only call it Flexler when you need it, like right now. Yeah. yeah. So you're not buying full time media unless you have to educate people uh, what to do. And people are pretty well attuned to how to save energy right now. Yeah. Well, and let, so let, let's talk about now, because we've had, uh, I, I think we're in the seventh consecutive day of a flex alert. And uh, I was reading, um, I guess, on Flex's website that they're, they're figuring, and I, I hope I've got this right, that they're thinking that they're getting a load reduction of a peak load reduction of about a thousand megawatts. Um, I think that's way too low. And I always have. Um, if you look at their, you, you have to compare it to their day ahead projections. And when you look at it, like even yesterday's ISO chart, they projected about four or so thousand more megawatts than actually came in at peak. Remember, at peak. And um, they're always minimizing to me, to my disgruntlement, how much people actually contribute to lowering in the peak. I think it's somewhere between two and four. Okay. And they do have demand response programs, which kick in a lot of it. But. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it sort of becomes a, an unnecessary accounting exercise to try to figure out who actually, of, the, of all the players, this mosaic of programs and awareness and incentives and all that, uh, given that, you know, who, who's responsible. But yeah, it was just, I guess I was, the, the point of my bringing up that number was I, I wanted to know in your eyes, uh, you mentioned Flex ran for 15 years. I mean, here we are. 22 years after you developed this program, uh, how do you keep that brand alive? I think we both said it is very much alive, um, but you might have some drop off in participation. And then here it is the seventh day here. I'm now bring it down to this week. And what happens after you've had it for a whole week? Uh, do people lose, uh, do they get fatigued with this and they sort of say, well, my my turning this on is not going to make a difference or what's, what's your sense of that? 
It is. Uh, you're asking a couple of questions. Uh, I noticed this morning the ISO, I guess it was them, put out a thank you for people conserving. That's one thing you have to do. If seventh day, there's been no blackouts, they think, well, we didn't really need to do it. You need to make sure they know that they played an important role in saving from blackout. So you constantly remind people that their efforts are making a difference. Uh, with FlexAlert particularly, you don't use it all the time. Uh, we did in the beginning, we educated people throughout the year what to do when it came because they didn't know. I think generally people know there may be a need for a little of that right now. Uh, but the urgency issue you've hit on is really critical. Uh, during those years after the energy crisis, when things settled down a little bit, our campaign went with different themes to raise that urgency. Uh, one of them was climate change. Back in 2006 and 7, although, boy, the threats against us were incredible, but we ran campaigns that you've got to save electricity, basically, and, and we educated people on how much greenhouse gases that reduced. So we, because at that time, climate change was a big issue, still is, but we use that as a theme. Uh, we used water, saving water, save water, save energy. There, there, there's money in this year's budget, by the way, for that campaign. Not, we're not doing anything in it, but save water is, you know. Uh, so, you know, we use different themes to raise the urgency and change things up a little bit to get people uh, to pay attention. You can't just pound away on turning lights out. Uh, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm really glad you said that about give, giving thanks. I don't know whether I've felt, um, not, that, not that I'm asking for it, but I don't know if I have really felt that I've been thanked for my contribution. I mean, I, you know, I uh, we have an Airbnb, it's vacant. I unplug the fridge. Uh, you know, we've got the air conditioning in my office at 80 degrees, uh, which I, I'm just doing these things because I care and I try to spread the word. But I think it's... Uh, really important for a lot of folks uh, to realize that, yeah, we didn't have blackouts because people like you took took action. Um, yeah, it's it's something that if, if I had to give one piece of advice to the ISO or the governor or something, it would be that. Let people understand it. That's, that's why I started with it's a demand side thing. Without participation of everyone, the campaign fails. And that means everybody has to not only be invested, but thank for their investment. And so I wish they would they would do that and quit downplaying the contributions that people make. There are a lot of economic and other reasons that happens, which you could fully understand. But uh, well, I think that I'm glad you mentioned the downplaying because when I read that uh, and, and it spurred this conversation, you know, I was like, okay, well, today today's peak is going to be projected to be fifty one thousand. 145 megawatts. That's the biggest peak since 2006. You mentioned 2006 a minute ago. So that's a, you know, that, that's a huge peak. And if our load reduction through flex is only saving 1,000 megawatts, uh, you know, what's that, 2% or something like that. So it's not, it doesn't feel like a big contribution. And, and I think what you're saying is, is that that number is erroneous. And there's, again, there's a whole a whole acupressure exercise of uh, programs and incentives that are education stuff, things have been going on to branding that have kept, kept this alive. Yeah. The, the 2006 is an important year because that was a pretty tight year for energy or electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, if you compared and believe me, I did, because we had to appear before the PUC to justify what we were doing. 
We looked at the days before flex alerts were called and after. And before, it pretty much followed the, the, the uh, demand curve. After we called it, it dropped off by about 4,000 and it shifted. You can see the bounce out to the, you know, after seven. And yet they kept, and it was 4,000 megawatts. And they would say, well, the fog came in in San Francisco. No, it didn't. I was in San Francisco. It didn't come in. You know, so I don't know why. Maybe it's because people are in love with their algorithms and their machines and their demand response programs uh, or want to claim credit, which which I think is really silly on demand side. Uh, you know, who cares why people did it as long as they do it is my approach. Well, and you've saved you've saved such huge amounts voluntarily, um, which I find so admirable. You know, I, I don't know if you're tracking this, but the, the investor-owned utilities in California have the emergency load reduction program for big yeah. commercial accounts. Yeah, they're paying $2 a kilowatt hour during yeah. events, $2. My little uh, co-op in Colorado, I still have a house up in the mountains in Colorado, Holy Cross Energy is an amazing uh, co-op. They're paying a dollar a kilowatt hour uh, to, for people to, to conserve during their peak events. So, um, you know, those are important programs. I'm not denigrating those programs, but you're getting it voluntarily uh, and uh, getting people to understand why this is in their own interest to do, which I think, again, and, and giving thanks for, for their actions and so they can really feel that, that circular effect here of uh, action and reaction. Yeah. Well, demand response, the people conserving is almost impossible to attribute. Very hard, you know, to identify what caused it. Uh, you know, there's, it, it's just difficult. And, and also the utility, everybody else makes money selling those electrons, not saving them. Now we have good policies in place to try to reward it, but that's where all this evaluation comes in. And I, I used to hate, the way they did it because they don't do it right. Yeah. You know, they would say, well, what, how much electricity did your CEO pledge save? Well, I mean, you would have to go to every damn owner of a business and ask him what your meter readings were before. You know, it's impossible. And if you can't prove it using ratepayer or taxpayer money, it's hard to defend it against somebody who wants to build something, which is easy to see and count the electrons it kicks out. Well, and then you got every every employee in each one of those corporations that's taking that message home, yeah. or every, you know every school kid that's not just taking the message home, but also taking it to grandma's house and to their neighbor's house, and I mean all those indirect uh, co or indirect benefits of these programs that yeah. yeah are not are not fully accounted for. So I guess they get they get minimized, and so I guess a, a great theme for this podcast is uh, keep it up, California, and and other parts of the country that have and world that have taken on similar campaigns um, yeah. because it's, it's working. It does work. It is working. People need to know that. We, we as a society, as you know, probably better than anyone, we use too much of everything. It's not just energy, it's water. I mean, the drought, the, there is one golden silver lining on this drought. We're using less water and water is the pumping it and cleaning it is the biggest energy user in the state. Uh, that's why I want to do the solar canals project. Uh, so, you know, we use too much everything. Uh, and this is a, a good instruction to our kid. The third phase of the tease of my campaign was making it a way of life. If you ever watch the ads, one of them is showing a little kid following his dad. 
walk around the light, turning out saying kind of what you just said, is this doing any good? Why am I doing that? And they ended, we ended the ad saying, guess who's watching you, you know, set that example. Yeah. Yeah. So That's really good stuff. Really good stuff. So um, what, what are you doing to maintain balance in your life? You, you, you look healthy, you look good. What, I, when you're in San Francisco, when I last saw you, you were walking up and down those hills like a madman. Yeah. What are you up to these days? Pretty much the same. Uh, since I think we got together, although if it was that, only several years ago, I bought a place in Sonoma, mostly so my kids could come up here. It's got enough bedrooms, and importantly, now it has a pool, which attracts grandkids and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I, I live at the top of Russian Hill. So even to go to the, to the store or a, a restaurant, I walk up and down the hills. I love the city. I still love it. Walk everywhere. Walk up here. Uh, you know, just just stay with it. Stay at, you know, when I bought this place up here, I planted a bunch of trees and stuff. And I bought this place to stay upright and outdoors, you know, keep going. Oh, that's great stuff. Well, I have a lot of admiration for, for you and your career and what you've done. So thanks so much for being part of this podcast today. A- uh, well, thank you for what you do, Ted. Uh, I hope we can see each other again soon. And yeah, keep putting the word out. Take care. Thanks, Wally. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ted. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.